you know, and I got to looking at it, and it, it's kind of a funny feeling when you sit down to go over your sermon notes and this knot appears, you know, it kind of rises up in your stomach because you know you're not in the right place. So I said, well, Father, it's 4 or 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon, and uh, I probably could use a nap before in the morning, <laughs> you know, before church. And so I uh, got to digging around, and, and this is the subject that rose up on the inside of me and I started digging and started going through it. And now I'm realizing, you know, here it is this time in the afternoon. And we're together. This may end up being five or six parts to this message. And I'm going to tell you what it has to do with. It has to do with worship. Not, not exactly what we just did. No, it's, it's about uh, being in a state of worship between you and God, between you and Christ, you and the Holy Spirit all the time, all the time. And the title of the first message in this series is The Priority of His Presence. Now, it, it might be easy for you to figure out that I got there pretty quick because all of a sudden, if you're a pastor, and what have I told you? I like to sit down. I like to pray. I like to get a hold of God's message for you, right? Because I know this for a fact, because in my youth I have made this mistake before. Getting in the pulpit with the wrong message is not good for anybody, right? And people know it. They know it. They know when you have missed it. When you have not hit the bullseye, the people know it. So the priority of his presence. I really needed God to begin to speak to me right away and needed to start penning these notes and things. And so, where God took me for this message, the priority of his presence, was to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. You, you're going to want to go there, because this is one of those simple stories in the Bible that, once again, God is drawing us back to it, because he's going to show us things we don't normally see. And I like this pace that God is setting. I, I know the Good Samaritan story. We went back and visited that, and we learned from it. Amen? And we've gone back and looked at other stories in the Bible, and we're learning fresh and new things, and we're being reminded of those solid rocks, solid gold truths that are there and where they fit in our lives right now. So the priority of his presence, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they were traveling along, he, capital H, that's Jesus, amen, he entered into a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. How many times have you heard me say when something's repeated in the Bible, you know, like, you know, the in Christ message where in Christ is mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament? You pay attention to the in Christ message, amen? But when Jesus says your name two times in a row, you better pay attention, right? Because <laughs> he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing 
is necessary. Only one thing matters. That's what Jesus is saying. Only one thing is absolutely necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, I've got a goal for this message today. And the goal of this message on the priority of his presence is to understand that worship is fundamentally the privilege of being in God's presence. All right? Fundamentally, the privilege of being in God's presence. And so we must begin by prioritizing his presence. Amen? Worship is one of the most important ways of building our relationship with God. The purpose of worship is to draw closer to him. But sometimes we can easily lose sight of that purpose. Trust me, I know. How many of you know we get pretty busy around here? Amen? For a small church, it's the busiest church I've ever been a part of. Not, not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Amen? But we have to keep it in perspective, right? If we enter into worship as just another religious duty, we have missed a key element of what worship is all about. We say, Pastor, we usually sing four or five songs. Not always. No, we didn't this morning. Amen. We're going to give priority to the word right now, and it's going to help change us. Amen. All right, sure, when we worship, we sing and pray and confess with our words about God's greatness and glory. But there's something even more important that should happen in our worship. The foundation of worship is the recognition that we are coming into God's presence. And you can say, well, I really didn't, I didn't really think of it that way. And, and there are people who don't think of it that way because they've never done that before. They've never really put any thought into worship, you know, as entering into the presence of God. But that's what we need and must absolutely do. Amen? We don't do this to get something from him or impress him with how spiritual we are, or get ourselves revved up spiritually, but so that we can be with him, listen to his words, humbly receive his instruction and correction when necessary, and to be changed. If you're living your life and nothing's really different in it now than it was three years ago, you haven't grown. You haven't spent enough time in his presence because being with him makes us better. Being with him makes us better. Amen? Making the most of his presence should always be our priority. What we do with our opportunity to draw near to God is what this story from Luke's gospel is all about. Jesus was invited to the home of two sisters, and he accepted their invitation readily. Jesus is always ready to be welcomed into our homes and into our hearts, into our presence. Amen? He is always ready. He is always ready, right? This was true for them, and it's true for us today. He wants to be present with us. But the important question is this. Listen now, listen carefully, because these are just fundamental, basic questions. Say, Pastor, where do you get this? Well, you sit down, you pray, you mull it over, and you start writing down what rises up on the inside of you. Listen to this. I wrote, he wants to be present with us. But the important question is this. What do we do when he arrives? 
Now, you may think, well, that's a goofy question. No, 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 no. Listen to me carefully. What do we do when he arrives there? How do we respond to his presence? Sometimes in our walk with God, we can get so busy with all of the right spiritual activities. Church, even reading the Bible, even witnessing, serving the needy, etc., that we forget the importance of simply being with Jesus. Now, that list I just gave you, those are the same things that we've been pushing here. And they're all good, and they're all right, but you cannot forsake your time alone with Christ. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you in this, this message, what will go wrong if you do? In our story today, we see two different approaches to spiritual life. Martha, now you just start thinking about her. You know Martha. You know her. If you don't know her today, you knew her in the past. And if you didn't know her today, don't know her today and didn't know her in the past, you'll know her in the future. They're out there, all right? Martha is a spiritual busy bee, always up and moving and doing things for God. Her sister Mary is more concerned with simply being with Jesus, sitting at his feet and listening to what he has to say. Amen? While Martha is totally occupied with trying to serve Jesus and perhaps impress him by doing so, Mary is building a relationship with him, not by doing anything, but simply by setting at his feet. I'm going to make three observations about this story, and as we do, I, w I need you to ask yourselves two questions. One, in what way am I like Martha? Because you don't have to be completely like Martha to have areas of your life that are like Martha's, right? Then the other question is, in what way am I like Mary? Because that's important too. We need to observe both, right? So here's the first point that I want to make. There is a critical contrast, a critical contrast. And, and look, now, verse 38 and 39, if you've got that open, let's go back up here. Look at this. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Martha takes the lead in welcoming Jesus and the disciples into her home. You don't hear Mary's name in verse 1, do you? You don't hear Mary's name until the next verse, all right? In the first verse, 38, don't hear Mary's name. You hear it in the next verse, in verse 39. Martha's energetic, she's vivacious, she's full of life, and has a strong personality. Anybody know anybody like that? I mean, no, no, no. Yeah, all right. Mary is much more reserved, quieter, and generally has less to say. All right? Point B, the contrasts in their personalities can be seen in their approach to faith. Martha is a spiritual workaholic. She believes that if you want to be close to God, you should be as busy as you can be in doing God's work. You ever met anybody like that? And then see, you have Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. Mary has a different approach. She believes that if you want to be close to God, you should simply sit at 
his feet. As a matter of fact, in many of the references to Mary, she is always sitting at Jesus' feet. See, this is the proof I was talking to you about, brother. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, in many references to Mary, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. One of them is John chapter 11, verse 32. This is the same Mary. She is at his feet after her brother Lazarus has died. In John eleven thirty-two. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, she beelined for the feet of Jesus, right? Then in John chapter 12, verse 3, it is this same Mary Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary is not unfamiliar with being at the feet of Jesus, right? And then she is at his feet in this story. Why? Well, I just started writing bullet points. Mary recognizes that Jesus is superior to her and that she needs to be in a place of listening, right? Mary recognizes that Jesus can tell her things that she can't learn anywhere else. Mary recognizes that Jesus welcomes her to be near him. He never once told her to go away. Even when they were, were getting on to her for pouring expensive perfume on his feet, he protected her. He defended her. He said this will be spoken of her, and here we are speaking of it again today. It's never going to be forgotten. Amen? Mary recognizes that it is not just information that she needs from him, but relationship. Amen? Like Mary, you and I need more than a formal Bible study with Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. What do we teach here? Go after the Bible but go after it with prayer. You got to talk to him, amen, if you're really going to learn something from the Bible. If you're going to be like sitting at a dining room table on Saturday afternoon and you've got to give the bread of life away to people on Sunday morning, amen, you better be a person of prayer. You better commune with him. You better talk to him. You better let him bring the word of God to life in you, amen? We need to hear from the living word himself. If we only hear the word without hearing from the author, we have turned our Bible study into merely an academic exercise. When we speak of devotions, how many of you have devotions? When we speak of devotions, we mean that we are devoting ourselves to him. Amen? That makes a difference. Amen? Mary didn't invite Jesus to have a Bible study with him, but to come to know him better. So my question is, do you desire to be in God's presence to gain information or to deepen your relationship with him? Amen? I mean, we're having a lot of good Bible studies, and I believe that we're pushing in the right direction, the right way, but every now and then it's good to be reminded. Amen? Second point, we have a crisis complaint in verse 40. Look at verse 40 with me. 
But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. How many of you know it's not a good idea to boss Jesus around? It's a crisis complaint. So under a crisis complaint, A, Martha is distracted from Jesus by her work for Jesus. Good point, isn't it? Martha is distracted from Jesus by her work for Jesus. In verse 38, we're reminded, Martha starts off well by welcoming Jesus to her house, but then she gets angry at Mary because she isn't helping with preparing for a meal. So she impatiently asked Jesus to tell Mary to help her out. How many of you seen kids get in an argument, go to their parents, tell mom, mama, you need to tell him or her to do such and such, right? She starts off with Jesus on her mind, but she gets distracted from him by the gigantic meal she's creating. She's distracted by the good thing that she is doing for her guest and so isn't in a close vicinity to her guest. She's not at his feet. Amen. All her preparations become about a performance, and she misses the whole point about being with Jesus. When it comes, it starts coming to performance, you're losing. You, you're just into formality. Amen? B, Martha then questions Jesus' care. Does that sound familiar? Martha then questions Jesus' care. Let, let me ask you a question. You know, I mean, isn't that what she said? Don't you care that I'm doing all this and, and Mary's just sitting there doing nothing? Don't you care? Where have we heard that kind of thing before? Only worse. The disciples are in a boat that's about to sink, and Jesus is asleep. And they say, don't you care that we perish? We're about to drown. Don't you care? And he rises up, and he goes to the edge of the boat, and he speaks to the waves and the winds and the storm, and it all dies. And they're like in amaze. They're in shock. Even the waves obey him. The wind obeys him. Great revelation. But... But don't we know of another story in the Gospels? And I love this story. They've got at least, it's 5,000 to 15,000 people are there. And the disciples say, you need to send them away. They've got to go eat, right? Don't, don't you care they're hungry? Don't you care? He goes, what do we have? Well, we've got a boy here and he's got, you know, loaves and fishes. And you know the story. He said, bring them to me. And he prayed over them, and they kept reaching in the basket and handing out food until all of them had been fed, and then they took up leftovers. So don't tell me that Jesus doesn't care, and don't tell me that Mary couldn't have been sat right next to Mary. Martha could have been sat right next to Mary at his feet, and when it came time to eat, if Jesus looked at Martha then and said, well, what do we got? And she said, well, I, I, I had this, but it's not prepared, or I have this much of this. Do you not think that Jesus could say, let me, let me take care of this for you? You understand what I'm saying? We know that Jesus had fed 15,000 people, and we know there weren't 15,000 people in Martha's house. Do you understand what I'm saying? There weren't. And if Jesus can feed 15,000, he can feed the people that are at Martha's house under Martha's care even. If she had chosen that better thing that Mary had chosen, Jesus would have shown her 
that, yes, he cared. But he didn't care about what Martha was talking to him about. Right? I got, I got off on a trail there. I, that felt good, right? Now, listen. So, Martha then questions Jesus' care. Now, listen to this. Martha's annoyance leads to a theological question of whether Jesus really cares. And I'm telling you, people do it every day. If Jesus really cared for me, this thing would not be happening. That's not true. That very thing could be there for Jesus to show you how much he cares. Hang on to that tooth and nail. Sink into it. Be a grinder. Bite and chew. Bite and chew. Amen? Bite and chew, right? And stick with the truth. I don't care. Standing in front of you right now, what the circumstances look like, Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father. And I only knew that he rose for one person, and that was for Stephen. He rose for Stephen to receive Stephen into heaven. What an honor, right? But Jesus doesn't have to stand to take care of the need. Amen? All right. She's more concerned with serving Jesus than being with Jesus. Her theology is being controlled by her perception of her circumstances. And it's easy to do, especially when it involves people we love. Amen? All right? She sees, she sees it as Jesus' fault that she isn't getting enough help because Jesus is occupied with entertaining Mary. So, Pastor, you've got a wild imagination. You better believe I do. Isn't that basically what she's upset about? Jesus, if you weren't doing what you were doing and entertaining Mary, she'd be up and she'd be helping me, right? She seriously missed the whole point of Jesus' visit. She has missed the entire reason for him coming by. Amen? Notice, during this period of time, I read you four passages of Scripture about this story. Mary doesn't say a word. She doesn't defend herself. She doesn't argue with Martha. She just lets Jesus handle it. Amen? Why? Because, listen to me carefully, you may be dealing with something, a, a close loved one is going through the fire right now, right? But you know what you are? You're, not, you're an innocent bystander. Mary's just an innocent bystander. She trusts in Jesus, amen? And Jesus takes care of her. Jesus meets the need, amen? If you're doing something for God and you develop a bad attitude from doing it, you aren't doing it for him anymore. Ooh, 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 we got to do that again. If you are doing something for God and you develop a bad attitude from doing it, you aren't doing it for him anymore. Amen? So what did Martha, what was her response? She told Jesus what to do. I think that's pretty nervy. Amen? So Martha told Jesus what to do. That is never the sign of a right relationship with him. She doesn't request. She pretty much demands. Amen? So C, the problem is Martha's underlying attitude. If you 
really loved me, then dot, 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 dot. I, I left that blank because it's not just about Martha. It's about all of us. Amen. If you really loved me, whatever. Now, of course, it's not that we can't find a little sympathy for Martha's predicament. I mean, I, I kind of understand it, but I understand it's wrong. Amen. No one wants to be left to do all the work by themselves. Perhaps Martha is concerned about what she's missing out on or worried that, that she'd be too tired to take it in when she finally got the chance to listen to Jesus. Now, those two lines I just shared with you was me being very generous to Martha. <laughs> okay? But her attitude has become such that she wouldn't even properly be able to appreciate any time with Jesus. Amen. So now we're at our third point. We get to hear a divine correction. Verses 41 and 42. I'm bouncing back up to it. I want to read it out loud. Verses 41 of Luke chapter 10 and 42. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So I preached a sermon one time called No is a Godly Word. <laughs> you know, I still get a crack up out of it, you know, thinking about it. Love is, or no is a godly word. It, it's a word based out of love. If you love someone, you'll tell them no when they need to hear it. Amen. Jesus was not going to feed her problem. Matter of fact, he had zero sympathy for her problem. Amen? So there was a divine correction. A, Jesus responded by questioning Martha's priorities. So what's the, the title of our sermon? The priority of his presence. Now you know where it's birthed out of, right? Jesus responded by questioning Martha's priorities in verse 41. Started writing bullet points again. Jesus repeats her name twice. Whenever Jesus says something twice, it means he's very serious. Amen. Jesus says that Martha has too much on her mind. She needs to settle down, get a proper perspective. She needs to let go of the frustration, irritation, and blame, and look at herself honestly. If serving God makes you difficult, then something is wrong with your service. Amen. If serving God makes you difficult, then something is wrong with your service. Now, before I leave this part and, and go on to B here, before we throw that up, that graphic, I, I flew to Broken Arrow, uh, Oklahoma, went to Ramah uh, Church. I, I wanted a chance to meet Papa Hagen, you know. And um, while I was there, I, I went with two men who had graduated from Raymond Bible College, and they took me and gave me the grand tour and introduced me to everybody. It was great. And there was a, a, a lady there at the particular series of meetings that were taking place in the church. There was probably about 5,000 people in attendance. I, I'll never forget this. I met this one person, and she stood out because her name was Martha. <laughs> now, you know me. I have a warped sense of humor. I shook her hand, and I said, Martha, Martha. <laughs> and she said, if I only had a nickel. <laughs> For every time someone had said her name twice to her, right? And so uh, 
hey, went on to find out wonderful Christian, loved the Lord, and could preach like nobody's business. Martha, Martha could preach, right? Now, I don't know if, uh, are we going to get B up there? Okay, B it is. Jesus affirms Mary's choice. The principle that Mary grasped was, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Martha's busy, but Mary is busy being blessed. <laughs> Martha's busy, Mary's busy being blessed. Amen? I like that point. That is good. All right, that will preach, sister, won't it? Listening to Jesus should always be our first priority. Paying attention to his word is the starting place for our spiritual lives. Through prayer and the word, we should sit at his feet just as Mary does. Jesus says that only a few things are really necessary. Amen? Necessary. Wow. Wow, that's, that's powerful. Through prayer and the word, we should set at his feet, just as Mary does. Jesus says that only a few things are really necessary. We sometimes make our faith too complicated. Jesus isn't hungry for a seven-course meal. He is hungry for you and me. Amen? Mary made the best choice. She understood why they'd all gotten together in the first place. Point C. Point of the whole message. Being in God's presence should always be the first priority. Priority number one. Listen to these bullet points here. God help me to deliver them with the anointing under which they were pinned. David was not called a man after God's own heart because he lived a perfect life, but because he was always pursuing the presence of God. He said, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that, shall I, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Psalm 27, verse 4. In Psalm 122, verse 1, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. In Psalm 42, verse 1, he could write words like this, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. Like David, we should long to be in God's presence and seek every opportunity to spend time with him. Instead of sending Mary into the kitchen, Jesus invites Martha to come join and sit at his feet. Mary doesn't have to say a thing to defend herself. She's quiet during the whole exchange. Jesus intervenes on her behalf. When we are in God's presence, we should let him do all the talking. When your service is keeping you from his presence, you need to readjust your priorities. What kind of passion, what kind of passion 
What kind of passion must we have for making a priority of God's presence? It's got to be serious. We have to be serious. Amen? You know, I thank God for the messages that he's leading us to, that he's bringing us into because they're going to make a difference in our lives. They're going to change us. These messages, I'm going to tell you something. Take the bulk of what God's been saying this summer. It's been a good summer by anybody's standard. Now, there's one takeaway for this, and it's not doesn't have to be on the board. It's just one. Presence leads to improvement. Think about this with me. Presence leads to improvement. I may have told you this story before, but and I can't really believe I'm, I mean, I'm having a hard time believing I'm going to use an example, but it is a good example. I don't talk about golf much because I don't play golf much, right? As a matter of fact, I was talking to somebody who knew how to play golf, and I thought, this guy knows how to play golf. Maybe if he invited me to go play golf with him, I could learn how to play, right? And so he asked me. He said, you have clubs. I said, I got a couple of bags of clubs in my garage. And he said, as opposed to a couple of sets of clubs? <laughs> Do you understand what that transaction that just happened? I said, I got a couple of bags of clubs. And he recognized that having a couple of bags of clubs don't mean you even got a set, <laughs> right? So uh, he says, as opposed to a couple of sets. Now, in all, in all, full disclosure, they were two sets of clubs. But I had to go home and look. <laughs> You know, <laughs> to make sure, you know, I think there's two sets. Yeah, there's two sets of clubs, right? Now, that goes to show you how much I know about golf, you know. And the only story I know about really playing golf was these five preachers went and played golf. True story. They're playing golf. They get through a few holes, and it starts raining and lightning and thundering. So they run for cover. They get under this big umbrella thing next to a chain-link fence, and lightning struck that chain-link fence and ran all the way down the end of it like St. Elmo's fire, right? And when the noise died down, one of the preachers said, I really shot a five on the first hole. Now, you, <laughs> you got to understand, you know, all of a sudden, <laughs> lightning was that close. Maybe I need to take ownership of that first hole, right? Now, why did I say all that? Listen to me carefully. I wrote these notes, these bullet points. There are a lot of important things that you can't learn from books. For example, no one ever became a really good golfer by reading an instruction book. Instead, you can only become a better golfer through interaction with someone who has mastered the game. You watch and learn from what they do. You ask them questions, and you ask them to critique your stance and your swing. Amen? Even the act of playing around with someone who is better than you often will have the result of your improving your own game. Now, applying that to our lives. You know, there's not any of us in the room, I, especially me. I'll tell you, I, I, I still, at my age, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, think about God in my life and I... Sometimes I feel pretty ignorant, uninformed, uneducated, right? And um, I will tell you that you can't do this job. You can't do this ministry. You can't do this without, you got to get with God. You got to have him critique your swing. You got to have him, you don't understand what I'm saying? You know, God, God knows these things, amen? 
His presence leads to improvement. If I could, I'd go back to the first church I ever pastored, and those people who listened to me preach all the sermons, and I would tell them how sorry I am. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I said some, at times, really ridiculous stuff, right? Um, you're young, you don't know any better. You're grabbing at straws, but the older you get, the more time you spend with him, the more you make his presence a priority, the more things change. I'm seeing things in stories in the Bible I've been reading all my life, but not as young as I used to be, and I've had a little more time in that closet with God. I'm not bragging. I'm humbled by it. And I say, Father, please don't stop talking. Please, you know, don't forgive me when I get so stupid and I do idiotic things, you know. Please forgive me and don't stop dealing with me, please. I thank him for that because he doesn't. He doesn't. But I don't take it for granted. Amen? Our God is a good God. Amen? He loves us. Have you learned anything today? You know, I'll tell you, that, that part about David there, that, that, that gripped me, you know. Um, I remember saying one time in my youth, well, at least, at least I, I've never had a man killed and took his wife. You know what I'm saying? You know what, you know what the Holy Spirit rose up on the inside of me and said? You sound just like the tax collector next to the sinner at the altar saying, thank God that I'm not like him. Right? But at least God didn't leave me in a stupid state. Amen? He didn't leave me in that stupid state of mind, but he spoke to me. And he, he kept me. You know what? There are things about David's life we're not going to learn until we get there. And this is what I'm going to close with. And I'm going to pray. For us. I used to carry a list around in my pocket. You know, and it was that list of things that I'm going to, by God, I'm going to, by Jinkies, I'm going to ask God about this when I get to heaven. I don't have the list anymore. Because one day in my quiet time, prioritizing the presence of God, I learned that when I get there, that list is not going to matter. It just isn't going to matter. And I learned that one day when I was prioritizing the presence of God in my life. I love the fact that we found out that Mary, you know, Mary Magdalene isn't talked about a lot in the Bible, and three of the references to her going straight to the feet of Jesus. She knew where to go. Amen? Now, here, here's what we're going to say before we pray. Do you ever find yourself asking yourself, how do I get there? How do I get there? Well, you go there. Amen? You go there. Sometimes it takes some preparation, but it starts with talking to him. Amen? You, you know what? It helps for you. Once in a while, you just get right with him again. Amen? Sometimes when you find yourself having a difficult time getting to the feet of Jesus, you're not going there. The motives that are driving you there initially aren't the right ones. Every now and then, you just got to go there and lay it out. Lay it out. Not only does Jesus know, you're telling him you know. Sometimes life gets messy. Amen? And we don't always make the right decisions. Sometimes we've got to talk about those first and get them out of the way. Amen?
So you know what I want to do? I, I, I just, you know, have you ever asked yourself, how can I know that my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life? I make it a, a matter of practice to thank God a lot that my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, I accept the fact. I accept it. I willfully and, and I acknowledge it on purpose and by design that he called my name before the foundation of the world and it appeared in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when your name appears there, it doesn't disappear and come back and disappear and come back and disappear and come back because God knows the end of the matter, right? Your name is either in it or it ain't in there. But I will tell you this, the fact that you're here today is a good sign. It's a good sign. Amen? If it wasn't there, you probably wouldn't care at all. Amen? But we care, don't we? All right. I tell you often that I love you, but I don't love you at all compared to how he loves you. So if you love God, stand up and let me pray for you. Stand with me and let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you once again that your word of promise is fulfilled in our lives. I thank you that your word has been given forth in the power of your spirit today. And yes, Father, once again, it's changing lives. Thank you, Father, for this message and what it means to me. I thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us afresh and anew of all of our sins and all of our shortcomings. I thank you, Father, that we get fresh starts as often as we need it, as long as breath is in our body and light is in our eyes and our hearts still beating. So, Father, this is literally like a revival service right now going on in the hearts and lives of your children. Thank you, Father, for the Lamb's Book of Life. Thank you, Father. We believe with our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, died on the cross for our sins, was raised from the dead, seated at your right hand. It is the starting point is simple. Is that simple. It's just that simple. But, Father, oftentimes in our spiritual development, we bog down. We get busy like Martha did. and We forget the priorities. We forget that Jesus can calm storms and waves and feed 15,000 people. And that if I don't get everything done in the mechanical list I've got set up, Jesus is there to handle it and to take care of it. Father, I want to thank you for the peace that comes with that knowledge inside of the hearts and lives of your children. Father, I'm going to step out right now and thank you for all the great and glorious things you've done in our lives this summer. Father, you're full of surprises for us. And your love is overwhelming. Father, I want to thank you for a group of people in California that I never met in my life that could stand in a service in California after their homes had burnt to the ground and sing that chorus to you, There's Another in the Fire. Standing next to me is another in the water holding back the sea. Father, I want to thank you for the priority of your presence right now in this room. Touching the hearts and lives of your children. Letting them know that you're here and that you hear us. And the Lamb's Book of Life is real. And our names in it is real. Father, I believe you've been preparing the soul of our hearts for this message. I know that temptation will rise up in the hearts of some of us because of what we're facing in life to 
you have that seed in a, that soil tampered with. But, Father, I pray over that seed right now, planted in the soil of our hearts. Water it, Father, with the power of prayer, your spirit. Watch over it. Keep it safe so that this message brings forth a mighty harvest for your glory. And, Father, I want to take this time before we leave to thank you for Pastor Leon May. I don't have any idea what they're going to be doing in this room later today. But, Father, I believe your presence in that service is eminently important. I want to thank you for Pastor May and his wife, for Leon and his wife. I want to thank you for their ministry. I know they lift up the name of Jesus, so I'm praying, Father, that you'll bless their socks off this very day. Be in their service, I pray. Lead, guide, and direct. Watch over us as we depart from this place today, Father. I know that you watch over us. I know that you protect us. I know that you keep us safe and be in all of our homes, Father. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Love you. God loves you. Let's get this room ready for Pastor Leon and his wife and their congregation.